This is not a military takeover. Stand by for action. Anything can happen in the next hour. It's Friday, it's 11 o'clock, and it's time for the Paranoid Squirrel Rock Show with your host, Armish. In a change to the normal structure of the Paranoid Squirrel Rock Show, today's episode is going to be all about Radio Birdman and the descent into the Maelstrom, the Radio Birdman documentary. of March I went up to the Regent Street Cinema for the London screening of A Descent into the Maelstrom, the Radio Birdman documentary. As you know, I like a good musical documentary and boy, Descent into the Maelstrom certainly fitted my remit. Now, you may think that making a documentary of a band would be pretty easy. Just get the principal players to talk, throw in some archive footage along with some dates here and there and Bob Young is your uncle. Except we all know it's not quite like that. The band has to be interesting have a hitherto unheard backstory that has you leaving afterwards feeling either dejected or elated. Uh, the MC5 is a true testimonial, had me satisfied. 
basically Johnny Moped had me feeling justified as the Moped band were more than just special only to me. End of the century, the story of the Ramones gave me a sense of loss. Uh, as at the time, two of the original brothers had already gone, coupled with the fact that there never, ever could be another band like them. Same could be said for Lemmy the movie. The damn, don't you wish that we were dead? As you know, left me knowing my heroes were human like the rest of us, prone to making mistakes. And as for Captain's Beef with Rat, disappointment and saddened that two former close friends who went through so much aren't able just to go out for a drink and say, weren't we great? We change music for the better, pat each other on the back, shake each other hands, move on. I mean, we all knew that Johnny and Joey Ramon hardly spoke to each other, so it wasn't much of a shock when they talked about that in the film. However, after the Birdman film, I felt the same as I did with The Damned. I held Dennis Tech in high regard. I still do, musically, but as a person, yeah, it's like the old saying, never meet your heroes. Or in this case, see a waltz and all film about them. After the screening, there was a question and answer section with original Radio Birdman drummer Ron Keeley and the director John Sequeira. I know I pronounced his name wrong. Uh, hosted by Viva Rock head honcho Eugene Butcher, uh, which I'm going to air right now, which is going to be interspersed with some choice Radio Birdman tunes. <laughs>
kind of know uh, the story of uh, Radio Birdman since I first um, fell in love with him in CrossFit New Zealand back in about 1978. I think I, th- I got into Radio Birdman the same month as I discovered the Stooges. I'm pretty young. Um, but uh, it's great to be here with Rod, and uh, it's a fantastic film, so thank you very much. Um, Uh, it's quite an emotional film because uh, nobody pulled any punches there, did they? Well, there, there might have been a few punches, were there? <laughs> uh, there were a few flying <laughs> objects. Uh, it was an emotional band. You know, I mean, it was uh, it was very very intense, and uh, it was intense in you know, a fantastically good way most of the time. Um, then it was intense in a fantastically bad way. <laughs> Um, I think, you know, I just brought out uh, what made the band pretty special uh, and also the personality clashes, the divisions that eventually drove us apart. Your drumming was uh, a key part of of the band, Rob, and it it really made the band sound differently at the time when it could have been just like, you know, know, expression punk stuff. Um, it was very, you know, tribal almost, um, surf guitar, surf drumming sort of stuff. Um, you know, what were your sort of influences? Well, um, back in the day, an Australian journalist uh, called us a surf punk thrash metal band. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I always thought that was fair enough. Um, but I'd like to think I contributed to surf art. I mean, you know, coming from Western Australia where you've got miles and miles of beaches, I wasn't a big surfy, but I did surf because everybody did. And um, you know, when I was in the early twenties, late teens, early twenties, um certainly stops in a boathouse or to the life saving club and um, you know, stomp around the floor. Yeah, it was very similar to where I came from. Yeah. You, you you play gigs in church halls and surf clubs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you were quite fixated with uh Hawaii Five, weren't you? Rob was. <laughs> that was Rob too. <laughs> to watch it, but uh, uh, we had to pay 50% of the royalties uh, of that song to the composer of the Hawaii Five Hundred Theme Tune. Get it back.
we get it occasionally on a Sydney radio station called Triple M. There's a DJ called Open Field plays it sometimes. And, and did you ever see the band live? Uh, not, not in the day. No, no. no. Yeah. No. Uh, what brought you around to, to want to make a film about that? Uh, I don't know how many people here from Australia. What, maybe half or so, I'm guessing, or more. But one. Yeah. They've all been deported You know, like, if you, if you grow up in Sydney and into rock and roll, they're the sort of legendary band, and so... You know, I don't know any of the basics, like, you know, it's an amazing band and two doctors in the band is always a good little, you know, catch and it makes it interesting, but um, it just seemed like an interesting story and I didn't realise sort of how, how much, how important the band was and the whole the whole thing with, you know, the fun house and influencing other bands and things. I didn't, I didn't quite realise how much and, and how much Ron and, and everyone started the whole scene, the whole thing in, in um, Australia, so... You know, that's, that's the thing about doing the film. It's like that's that's the music's there. It's a great legacy, but that's another big part of the legacy, and it's so important. So well, a lot legacy as well. Yeah, and, you know, right. very yeah. popular and, and around Europe. Um, one thing, I mean, uh, just, just just before uh, we do, I just say that, that in terms of the um, the Birdman spirit carrying on past the death of the band, you like um, a lot of credit has to go to Jules Hollington who started Phantom Records and John Needham, who started Citadel, because you know, they released the Sunny Boys, the Flaming Hands, the Hoodoo Gurus, a lot of the bands that came, you know, were big in the 80s. I mean, the Hoodoo Gurus were really quite big in the 80s. Yeah, I Sorry, this is a French film. 
um, that I'd seen on the year before. But it, so anyway, Radio Birdman it was, and um, years later, in 78, in fact, we met Iggy in London and uh, explained, you know, how we come by this name. And he said, no, man, that's not the line, it's Radio's Burner and up above. And, uh, uh, you know, Rob really got shitty, actually. Uh, <laughs> so there you go.
things might have turned out differently if you'd gone to uh, straight to America with Sire Records instead of coming to England first? I think we, yeah, um, we were more of an American band than a, the UK band. You know, yeah, right? that's what I thought. It seems yeah. like a, a silly thing to a diversion, you know. Well, I guess it was traditional for Australian bands to come to England and die. But yeah, I, I've always thought we would have done better in the, in, the, in the US. But at the end of the day, Dennis had his commitment to medicine, and that was always going to come first. So you know, and, uh, and he also had this commitment to the US Navy. So it's a non-starter. Really. My personal error was that I should have just waited around for him to do his seven years. So that basically got in the way right throughout the band's whole history. Uh, it's really, well, yeah, you know, it's, it's not an easy subject. They, they put in lots of hours and um, uh, it was difficult, you know. To... In a way, it worked for us because every gig became an event. You know, I mean, we'd hire a hall, we'd have a hall, um, uh, or, you know, manage to scrape up a gig at a pub somewhere and uh, put the word out and, you know, people would turn up, which was fantastic. And then we had the fun house. And that became something of a residency. Um, and we played there quite regularly, but we had lots of other bands who'd come through and play there. And we did eventually attract the angel's attention.
so yeah, Dennis seems to be a, a, a quite a, an important part of the film oh, because there's a lot of uh, obviously the creative part of it, but uh, also maybe the conflicting part of the band. Um, when Dennis was good, he was very, very good. When he was bad, he was very, very bad. Mm. Um, you know, he could he could walk around with black cloud over his head, and, and you know, I, I eventually learned just to stay away um, because you couldn't get any sense out of him. It was just unpleasant. Really. Uh, but you know, I mean, the man is a genius uh, to, to to write such great, great songs, um, play such brilliant guitar. Um, you know, what can you say? Yeah. Um, but then the, the second album. Um, was it came across it with more of his, his, his thing, and what, you weren't involved quite as much, and, and yet it's not as strong as obviously as the What do you mean, the second album? What was the the one you did, Rockfield? Oh, the Rockfield one, yeah, with an eyes. Well, yeah, I would agree. I'd agree. Um, it was a testing time. Yeah. Um, we'd spent before we came to England. Dennis was back in the States, back in the USSA. And um, then he came to Sydney, I think he came to Sydney, we rehearsed a bit, then he flew off again, and, and Rob was, um, Rob was shitty, as he was, often was, um, he always liked to be playing. Um, so we didn't really have a whole lot of rehearsal time, we came to London and uh, we were living in a bed sit on uh, a house. Um, um, on the, on the road to the old Arsenal ground, Brighton Park, it's called. Uh, we rehearsed in London for about two weeks and then went to Rockville. So there wasn't, there wasn't the kind of um, depth of rehearsal and also we hadn't taken these songs, they're all new songs, we hadn't taken them on the road. So they hadn't really kind of gelled. Um, to give you an example, there's one track on that album called um, uh, Dark Prize. Uh, which I was never ever happy with. Um, we revived it for the first pension tour in '96, and it turned into a monster. I mean, if you can catch the live, one of the live versions of that, it is thunderous. It really does go. Uh, but the rest of the tracks on the album, yeah, they're they're a little weak. They're better on the essential radio than that, but they've been remixed and remastered.
you spoke to Dennis or heard from Dennis since the film no, was released? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the reaction been to the film as you've been taking it? I've been following you on, um, on Facebook and you've taken it around the world. What's the reaction been like? Uh, good. Just sort of starting the whole getting it out there out of Australia. So most of the Australian screens are in Norway. Really good reaction. and. It's crazy, you know, like literally spreading the Arctic Circle, and, you know, <laughs> it was a long way from Sydney, so yeah, just amazing. I just wanted to say quickly too, thank, thanks very much to Ron and, and Chrissy's wife as a partner, Rob, but you know, for sharing, and, and it's, it's hard to watch that film even for me still, you know, there's a lot of confronting stuff. Oh, yeah, there. there are places I still find hard. Yeah, and I still do. And, it's very so, you know, I'm really right. appreciative. It took quite a turn there halfway through, and it got quiet. Yeah. Do I say do I say more suspicious or very upsetting? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, customarily, this is the fourth time I've seen it. I think, and I usually find myself slipping out for a smoke at a certain point.
Well, um, it's a fantastic film, and I'm glad I know the story about Radio Burma finally after all these years. And uh, I, I, anybody in the audience got any questions for the guys? Um, thanks.
Uh, is that up Camden Town way? Duffel Park? Yeah, yeah, it was. How did you find it, sort of watching the bands, um, not behind the drum so Painful. It's the last gig I've seen in that, yeah. yeah. Um, at, at that point, there was um, Rob, Dennis, Chris, um, and Pip. So it still had, you know, the kind of majority radio Birmingham. I think who the drummer was. Jim's, you know, I've got a beef with Jim, he's a great bass player. I can't remember who the drummer was, so I'll probably Nick Reith. Um, but no, it's, you know, I can't think of offhand, I can think of a metaphor, but it's not something you want to do too often, that's for sure. <laughs> Sorry, I've seen your ex-wife, right? I've seen another And they, they, um, the, the drummers always cheat in the, uh, the middle eight of, of uh, mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> you probably can't tell, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a um, single bit roll played with rim shots on with both six. And it's, it, it's, it kills. It's really, really hard to do. I think, well, I know that, you know, the, you know, the current original members of the metal all, all acknowledge that Ron's, you know, still the best drummer that's, you know, ever been in the band, and, you know, and, and Nick and Ruth, the musical drummer. But yeah, well, he's not as good, you know. Yeah. Well, it's the difference between playing the drums and then actually writing those films, and you wrote them. Well, I didn't you know, just you played them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, the last time Dennis and I did speak in person, we, um, uh, Chris, you helped me, when was it? We were at the Madrid, 2000 and something? Yeah, probably 10 years ago. 10 years ago. Um, Dennis was playing with his band, The Soul Movers, and a little dingy dive in the south side of Madrid, and you know, we've always wanted to see Madrid, so we decided we'd fly over, do the sites, museums, and see Dennis's band, and uh, so we did, and uh, then we left, and the last words Dennis said to me was, you were Radio Birdman's best drummer, and I just smiled and said, I know.
two questions. Jonathan, first of all, where did you get all that spectacular archive footage? Uh, some of it's owned by Radio Burbank and stuff at Paddington Town Hall. They arranged to have a shot, so it's courtesy of the band, John Needham, and the ABC stuff's out of the ABC, so uh, ABC, Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and uh, yeah, they, they're not cheap, but <laughs> would have used more if it was cheaper, but you know, so um, the Real Thing TV show and also the Marriottville Hotel footage, that's the ABC. My other question is, um, I was 12 years old in 1978. I grew up in Goulburn, near Canberra. And Radio Birdman never made it onto 2GN. I mean, why, why do so people know? I mean, I've, this is the first time I've actually listened to your music. And it's, it's obviously spectacular, so it's extraordinary. I, I just don't understand why you didn't enjoy more success at home. Is, is that just because Australia the Australian music business is a bit gutless about getting um, behind bands? No, not really. I mean, uh, in the 60s, uh, I was in, in, the, in the Navy, the Australia, and you know, we used to come up to the cross on, on a Friday or Saturday night, the, the uh, surf city at the top of the cross, just across the road from the village of blood. Um, and you know, you see bands like the Safaris, Cold Joy and the Joy Boys, Normie Road, Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs. These are, you know, great bands, great musicians. And I think what um, set us apart was that essentially they were like show business and we worked. Um, you know, we did everything with maximum passion. Um, and you know, I'd, I'd not take anything away from those bands because they were really, really good and you know, um, the level of commitment we put into into live gigs was somewhat above that, um, and even even in rehearsals, uh, we, we were rehearsing in one of the pension tours. Um, Jim's got a 300 watt bass amp and speaker stack, uh, and we were playing so hard his speaker comes caught fire. You know, I mean, my point was such an obvious. You're such an obviously great live band, but you never really got the radio play. Because no, I didn't no. hear from I didn't hear from you at all. Not in the day. Not no. in the day, no. And even, now, not really. even now. And what, One of the reasons what? is we never we never released a radio friendly mix. But that was, you know, sometimes due to pop and stuff, but that that should have been the record company's job to get that on the radio. No! 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 No!
trying to get it across in the film, it's just so different and so not doing the way, doing it the way things were done. And you know, it's it's just no, not how it was done. It was doing it their own way, and no one's interested in that. People don't don't want to know. We were offensive. Now. We were offensive. You know, <laughs> to, 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 to sight and sound. Um, and, yeah. Um, Tasteless coefficient. Why is why Charlie Fisher and uh, Mike McGrath never push the radio? I, I don't know. I didn't have to ask them. Yeah. I mean, you were coming to pre-punk in your attitude. <laughs> <laughs> pre-punk. Uh, well, the rats was hmm, rats was Burbank was '74 to '78. The rats was probably a year or two before that. So, yeah, we were pretty close, but you know. Um, in the rest, we were playing New York Dolls, Alice Cooper, um, MC5, Stooges, that was, you know, so um, we were kind of contemporaneous. Um, probably you could say we were in the right, uh, we were there at the right time at the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. And you need timing above all in the music business, folks. If you want to succeed, you want to be there at the right time, in the right place. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thanks very much, guys. I think we've got to wrap things up. But, uh, The next scheduled screenings are at the Too Drunk to Watch Festival in Berlin in April. Unfortunately, I can't find out when the actual date is. Uh, with the North American premiere at the Detroit Free Festival on the 14th of April. Until Sunday, yeah, hop. Yeah.